News Talk K57 is 5.70 a.m. KGUM, Hagatnya Guam. The views expressed on this show belong to the show host, guests, and callers and do not represent Sorensen Media Group in any way, shape, or form. This show serves in the public's interest and SMG reserves the right to maintain control of the show as to keep within the guidelines of the FCC. If you have any comments or complaints, you can contact SMG. At SMG, we strive to present the best product we can. We value your opinion and we thank you so much for listening and tuning in to News Talk K57. Thinking out loud. Your talk, your station. News Talk K57. Good evening. Welcome to another edition of the Data Hub with Tyrone Tychno. I'm Tyrone Tychno, Director of the Bureau of Statistics and Plans. Uh, and with us tonight for the full hour and a half program here, we have a very special guest, our R. Magahaga, the Honorable Lulun Guerrero, Governor Guam. Governor, are you with us? Hello. How are you guys? Thank you very much for joining us, Governor. It's your very busy schedule and and your your days, which are always very long. And um, and, and thanks for joining us for for the program to uh, hopefully cover what uh, a broad range of topics that I, I think uh, are uh, at the forefront of people's interests. And uh, and before we get into the many issues that you have to deal with, including the combating. Uh, uh, COVID-19 and uh, restarting the economy and uh, and also the planned infrastructure projects that you're pushing for, like I said, the new hospital and the rebuilding of Simon Sanchez and all the other initiatives that uh, you're pursuing to uh, improve the um, the life of people on, on this island here. I, I, I just want to start with one general question. Uh, how, you know, their community has been through a lot, like, like I said, uh, dealing with COVID-19, the economic dislocations, and if the mental health statistics are any judge, uh, a good deal of stress. On, um, on on people and families uh, throughout this community going through this period. So, uh, from your perspective as governor, uh, uh, how do you think we're doing? Where do you think we are right now? I think we're doing really good. There's a lot of hope to um, recovery. Uh, I can feel it out there in the community. Also, um, when I'm out there, time out in the community are um, very um, confident and they are very appreciative and they're very grateful for all that uh, our administration has done to protect our community and to um, give them the safe environment that they of course so much deserve uh, in regards to this pandemic. So we're doing uh, very well. Uh, we have contained this virus since uh, I think November or December is when we started being below the 2.5. 
It was a bit uh, scary um, in August and September and October when we were seeing um, maybe three deaths a day and we were seeing increases of positive cases to the tune of, you know, um, 100 and also um, the hospital admissions uh, mm-hmm. went up as high, I think it's 102. So that was a bit uh, nerve-wracking in terms of making sure that our healthcare system is capable of delivering uh, care, not just for the COVID patients, but also for the non-COVID patients. So where we are today is such a great turnaround with uh, containing this virus. And so we've been running about 0.2 in our CLAR score, which is very, very good. And uh, our admissions at the hospital has uh, basically been anywhere from zero to five. And uh, that's also very good because we're now able to uh, feel like we have uh, many resources for our healthcare uh, service. And so, um, and of course we are in PCOR 3 and we've started to lift restrictions and uh, trying to get back to some kind of normalcy as much as we can. But I do want to say that we wouldn't be here today uh, where we are without the cooperation and the compliance of our people to the directives that I have put forward to try and uh, protect our community, mainly, you know, staying home as much as we can. Uh, if we don't have to go anywhere, social distancing, uh, staying away from big crowds and also uh, wearing your mask. I'm very um, encouraged by the community when I go out there as I would say 90 to 95 percent of our community um, is, are wearing a mask. So I think um, I see by maybe the end of summer mm-hmm. or maybe early um you know, October, November, that we would be in a much, much, again, strong position. So I just want to thank the community for that. Well, one of the great um, uh, advantages of having discussion with you about COVID-19 is that you not only approach it from the perspective as a, a policymaker and, a, and an executive, but also as a clinician, you being a sort of a registered nurse. And it, it, I, it was, I, was, um, I was struck by you citing the, the hospital data as, as befits a nurse. And it occurred to me the contrast that is with a lot of other jurisdictions around the world and indeed across the country. Um, as you probably read the news, Michigan is, uh, their rates of infections, infections COVID-19 infections, like seven times higher than it was just a few months ago. And, uh, and hospitalizations are approaching 90, if not 100% of capacity in mm-hmm. many hospitals. And uh, uh, to the extent that um, even though there's massive vaccination across the country, the governor of Mich- Michigan, who I'm sure you well know, has uh, has asked for um, increased vaccines. And the Biden administration CDC advice, if, if I read correctly here, is that we're responding with other treatments, including a monoclonal uh, antibody, you know, the, uh, the most famous one being Regeneron, um, as a way of sort of dealing with that. Fortunately, we're, we're not in that in that in that situation. Um, what would you attribute to uh, how we sort of gotten gone to this point here? Even though um, on the mainland there was there in many states here, there there the rates are just jumping up, and there's increasing concerns about uh, the impact impact of new hybrids. Um, from from your public health perspective, what do you think we we've done right uh, done right to sort of avoid? Uh, that situation and be in a position to be uh, optimistic uh, about the future, even though 
you know, it's we're, uh, uh, you know, as you repeatedly told us, we're making a lot of progress. We're not out of the woods yet. Right. I think uh, public health has stayed the course with mm-hmm. the um, contact tracing, with testing. It's testing, uh, contact tracing, and treatment. And so I know that we uh, were really um, heavily testing and aggressively testing. And we were contact tracing, we were isolating, and we were quarantining. Um, I think one of the biggest um, biggest positives for us is that we were able to um, get uh, travelers who are coming in to be uh, quarantined in our government quarantine. I know that there's been some um, minor concerns about it in terms of individual rights and so forth, but I think for the most part, uh, people understand and people comply and people um, agree that uh, as travelers come in, and we're coming in from these hot spots that you just mentioned, Mm -hmm. and our program and our system of uh, prevention and protection of our community lies, I think, in a great adherence to uh, quarantine. And most of the positive cases that we see now today are coming from the quarantine. Um, oh, really? And so, and so we, we, because we are quarantining and removing those cases from the communities, um, that's, a good, that's a good thing. We've been able to then uh, minimize exposure and infection. And so the quarantine, the isolation, uh, and also testing, contact tracing, and also um, vaccination. Those mm-hmm. are, you know, major public health measures. And of course, the very um, most commonsensical ones about um, wearing masks, social distancing, and so forth. Mm-hmm. Those are all um, proven uh, preventive measures that public health has been very um, steadfast and adamant in adhering to it. So. And, 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 that's what brought us where we are today. Yeah. And, you know, one thing I've always said on this program here is that um, uh, although there's been some resistance and not uh, objection uh, to these extreme measures to, uh, for quarantining and stay at home, uh, the fact of the matter is, is that these measures have been largely affected, uh, or rather accepted by people because, you know, having endured generations of typhoons, uh, we instinctively know to hunker down in time of a rough storm. And in the COVID-19 has certainly been a rough storm as well. That does, does not lasted for like a couple of days, but even longer than that. And so people, I, I think, and, uh, understand the, the whole concept and has made them uh, accept it more readily than would otherwise be the case here. Uh, you know, one of the, the things that crop up in some of the literature going on with COVID-19 is concerned with the variants that are occurring, uh, actually this right now on the mainland right, right now, and uh, how that would imp- impact on uh, uh, measures to deal with COVID-19, uh, uh, particularly, since, uh, particularly with uh, how it affects the current vaccines, which are, um, which are not yet fully geared up for the, new, for the variants. Is, is that a concern to you moving forward? The variants, um, yes, of course, it's a concern. But I think as we um, are able to vaccinate and to vaccinate with our community herd of about um, 50% to 80%, I think that's a, uh, a, a protection for us. 
Um, because the vaccines will work, will work with the variants none, uh, uh, as well, even though they're, they're yeah. new variants. And so that has a layer right. of protection. And we've been also sending specimens to CDC. And as, as you know, uh, we do not have the UK, we do not have the South African, um, we do not have Brazil, but we do have uh, the California variant. Apparently, California's COVID-19 mm-hmm. have uh, mutated into a variant. and But this variant, I think, is not as uh, serious or severe as the others. Um, mm-hmm. And the United the United States surge uh, is attributed to uh, UK. The other area that we need to be really looking at very closely is the Philippines. Mm-hmm. And the Philippines is, uh, I think, now on lockdown, and they're saying that they are seeing more the Brazilian variant. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I think out of the three, if you read literature and talk to the doctors, I think the Brazilian one is a much more um, severe. And uh, but our vaccines that we are using um, does work against the um, South African and the UK, and not too sure how effective it is with the Brazilian. So that's a concern. Well, well, Governor, uh, um, uh, would you say that one of the um, contrasts between uh, uh, the position we are, are uh, right now and the position we are, are a year ago is that is that the big difference is that we have vaccines to help combat COVID-19. And a year ago, the only tool you really had uh, was uh, curbing social, uh, social interactions and, uh, and crowds and stay-at-home orders and, and, and those sort of things to reduce the spread of infection. Um, I, uh, is, would you say your, your ability to deal with that has been vastly improved, uh, not only from the investment and the time to reduce the uh, outbreak, but also the fact that you have vaccines uh, helping you uh, deal uh, with this, uh, this uh, COVID-19 threat head on? Yeah, that's right. And also, you know, a year ago, we didn't know as much mm-hmm. uh, with the variant, I mean, I'm sorry, with the COVID-19. And, uh, and we have gotten a year now of experience. And uh, what's proven, of course, is, again, uh, wearing your mask, social distancing, and washing your hands. Uh, but yes, also the uh, evolution to the vaccines, uh, of course, gave us a lot more uh, advantage in containing this virus. And, I know um, if you listen to Dr. Fauci, Dr. Fauci is saying that the more people that are vaccinated, uh, the more that we present uh, the COVID-19 to mutate into a variant. So, so, so sort of like uh, a defense again, in I depth. I encourage yeah. everybody to, you know, and we've opened it up now. We do mass testing and we are now testing 16 years and above, mm. which uh, we're way ahead in some of the states in the United States where they're still, you know, going down to their age uh, priorities. But we have um, we have opened it up. We've opened it up now, I think, for almost two weeks. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're seeing the younger people and the younger ages really responding to being vaccinated. So that's that's a good sign. Well, Very which, good. which brings me out to my to my uh, question to you about your uh, path to half goal, which um, uh, uh, you set for to get half the population vaccinated, I believe, by May first. Uh, how are we doing in, in terms of reaching that goal? Yeah, we're doing good. Um, we have about 
I think 45% that are mm. vaccinated with the first dose, but that's not what we are using. We're using uh, full vaccination, which is the second dose. And, of course, Johnson & Johnson is uh, one dose, so that will get us more quicker to the 50%. Uh, right now, for the full dose, I think we are, man, I think I want to say like 28 29%. So so I, I feel we'll, we'll get there. Because we're vaccinating more now. UOG, uh, I think, is vaccinating about an average of 2,100 a day. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, there's the uh, community outreach and the homebound uh, and the industry vaccine. So that's going to get us close to our goal of May 1st. Well, you know, that that's still quite a sizable achievement. I mean, I was, um, uh, this is far in advance for not only in a lot of states and other jurisdictions in the U.S., but also uh, a lot of advanced countries. I was surprised to uh, look at the New York Times vaccination counter, and the vaccine rate in Japan is only around 0.4% uh, yeah. for the full amount. And that that's that's uh, that's quite a conscious. So, of course, they they've have had to impose... Um, uh, draconian measures in terms of social distancing and, and crowd interactings in order to get uh, their COVID-19 situation under control. But still, um, this if, if Guam was, an, was, uh, was uh, a separate country, it would rank uh, way up there on the list, at least internationally, in terms of the rate of uh, percentage per capita rate of vaccinating its own uh, uh, population due to the rather Herculean effort of, uh, of right. uh, public health and GMH and the health upper care providers. Right. So we're, we're, I think, um, either number two or up there in the top five. Yeah. Ah, okay. Uh, well, so the, the vac- why, why is 50% you said as a goal? What is the significance of 50% as opposed to, say, 75% or, or 35%? Why, yeah, why? right. So both of the clinical trials and clinical studies say that anywhere from 30 to 40% uh, of herd immunity is uh, pretty safe. Mm. So we made it 50%. But really, um, we're look, we're really going towards the July 21st uh, Liberate Guam goal, mm-hmm. which we wanted to be at 80% by July 21st. We're looking at the May 1st to, to maybe um, change some of our travel quarantine. Mm-hmm. And we feel that if we do uh, change it, 50% herd immunity would be a safe um, vaccination population that would provide the uh, protection of our community in the severity of the, of the disease if they, if they get infected. We have with us the, um, our Magahaga, Governor Lulian Guerrero. If anyone wants to join the conversation, they can call at 477-5757. That's 477-5757. So, uh, Governor, in looking ahead here, are you concerned about the, uh, the Philippines um, going down to, uh, I think, major lockdown measures now just, just this month and how that might impact on any, uh, any plans to, uh, to lift the, uh, uh, or lessen some of the quarantine restrictions for incoming uh, passengers. I mean, I mean, uh, you, there is, um, there, as you've uh, made very clear to uh, to us in the cabin here, a, a lot of what the policy that you've developed to deal with COVID nineteen is based on the data, and right. uh, uh, and you know the best and and doing what was uh, not only uh, uh, will move the island forward here, but that was prudent to do so given the data. And so, right. are, are you concerned that the uh, this recent uh, situation uh, just this month in the Philippines and how that might affect? Uh, uh, plans to uh, lessen travel restrictions? Yes. 
and uh, we've been discussing that in our uh, COVID um, morning meeting team. Um, and so, you know, we're looking at that very closely. Uh, we are requiring, though, that uh, if it, part of our change in our protocol is that they are still required to uh, have a negative PCR test mm-hmm. that they uh, have done 72 hours before uh, their arrival to Guam. So that's still a prevention. And then um, they are required, one of the change would be that we won't require them to go to the government quarantine, but that they will be home quarantined and public health will continue monitoring them. And they would have to also uh, download the application for Sarah Alert and COVID Alert. So what was the other alert, Governor? That uh, we can use to still continue monitoring and and uh, um, you know surveillance and and so forth. The the travel travelers from the Philippines, as I understand it from the airport, there's not that many that are coming in because. Mm-hmm of the situation in the Philippines. Mm. And so the flights also from the Philippines, I think, has been decreased to just Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Mm. And uh, my information says that they average about anywhere from 45 to 50 travelers that come in. And so that's a pretty, um, you know, manageable um, surveillance that public health would have to uh, closely monitor. Is is the uh, in this regard? Are you getting advice from the uh, Center for Disease Control about the situation or uh, what's happening abroad, as well as what's happening across the country? Yes, we we look at CDC guidelines, um, and we also you know look at the uh, what's happening internationally and what's happening in Asia. Um, but when we do make our decisions and our actions, they're really being influenced mainly from the CDC guidelines. Yeah. And and what what is what is the information coming out of Washington? What is their assessment of how the country is doing in terms of uh, uh, COVID nineteen? Uh, I, I, uh, certainly, as the situation has vastly improved in the last few months, as as vaccinations have increased beyond even the most conservative expectations as to how how many uh, vaccines were made available and how many people would be vaccinated by this point. Yes. So in the United States, they're really aggressively moving towards, uh, of course herd immunity. Mm-hmm. President Biden has, you know, mandated, um, I think it's April. He's looking at April for a, uh, I think he's, he's looking at 50% herd mm-hmm. immunity by April. Um, I don't know if they're going to be reaching it, but they are increasing vaccinations daily. Mm-hmm. I think they're past three or four million a day now Mm. Um, and of course they're pushing out vaccines which is one of the limiting factors for us to you know put shots in the arm Um, however they're very uh, of course concerned about the surges that they are seeing Um, I know that the CDC director Dr. Walensky was uh, in one of our NGA calls you know was giving us um information that they are starting to see more increases in positive cases uh, and in hospital admissions and they're 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 seeing again more um, admissions in hospitals and they're of course concerned about uh, you know overwhelming the healthcare system 
You know, Governor, one of the you know, news stories that often crops up, at least at least national news coverage, is uh, uh, resistance, uh, uh, popular resistance to uh, vaccinations. People don't want to be vaccinated for any number of weird reasons. And um, I'm, it's hard to um, tell to the extent that sort of feeling sentiment is uh, in our community and to, uh, to, and to what extent, you know. Um, it, what is your assessment as we, as, as we progress with a, this sort of aggressive aggr uh, vaccination schedule? What is your um, sense here of uh, any potential um, resistance out there to being vaccinated within the community? There is, there is some, but not very much. There are older people that, you know, don't want to get vaccinated. Um, and all we can do is, you know, educate them and let them know the uh, benefits of being vaccinated. Um, we're seeing younger people, like I said, uh, responding very well to, um, to the vaccination sites. And also younger people are more like between the ages, I think, of maybe 19 to 35. There, there's been a good response from them. They were the fastest growing um, population in terms of vaccination. So we're, we're seeing that. We're seeing people coming back for their second doses. Mm -hmm. So uh, for the most part, people are um, they're taking the opportunity to protect themselves, and they are getting uh, vaccinated. We are also working very closely with the community, and the mayors are helping out with uh, their residents and their uh, uh, citizens in their villages to um, encourage them to come and be vaccinated, and hopefully with uh, making it more convenient for especially the older population to come and be vaccinated in a site that's close to their home. So that's why we are bringing it out to the community. Well, uh, Governor, in, in that respect here is, so if you were to look ahead, and, and understand this is kind of dangerous territory, but if you look, at, look ahead, say, a year from now, having come through the past year, uh, where where do you think we'll be at a year from now if you know everything goes to plan and and of course there's yeah. no assurance that everything will go to plan. Uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, one of the things uh, uh, aspects of living on a uh, being an island is that a lot of things happen to us that are out of our control, like COVID nineteen. Right. Um, but but what is your what is your uh, it, I won't I won't say it, um, it's um, it's uh, it's uh, what you expect to happen, but what do you where do you hope we'll be at a year from now? in terms of COVID-19? In terms of the vaccine? Well, in terms of the where we are in the public health emergency. and uh, Sure. I, I really believe if we stay the course and, and uh, continue uh, supporting this course, that uh, we will back to almost normal. Um, I expect our economy to recover. Um, a year from now, I'm thinking, let's see, a year from now, I'm thinking we would probably be almost 50% of our tourists have come back, mm -hmm. and uh, I I look at um, you know our I, I look at everything being opened and open to its fullest. I still expect people. I think a year from now, I would continue to encourage people uh, to wear their masks so we can just make sure um, that we're protected and not infecting each other. Mm -hmm. and, but I think the economy is going to get really um, 
turned around. Uh, I'm very hopeful with the, uh, you know, the financial federal aid that's coming in. That's going to pump in a lot of our, um, well, a lot of revenue into our economy, giving us opportunities to reopen our, our businesses, giving us opportunities to continue operating our businesses, giving us the opportunity to uh, bridge till uh, so our tourism and other uh, economic industries start. Well, well, I'm glad uh, you mentioned. I'm glad you mentioned the economy, Governor. I'm hoping to get into uh, uh, your detailed plans for our economic recovery after we uh, do just briefly uh, uh, take a break with the CBS Radio News, which is at the top of the hour. And so, if you uh, if callers out there, I know you tried to get in, and due to some technical difficulties, we've not had to uh, not been able to get you online. But hopefully, uh, Governor, you'll stay with us a little bit after the uh, seven o'clock news, and then um, maybe take some calls if they call back. So. All right. Okay, thank you, Governor. So see you, okay. see you everybody. everybody I'll call back. I'll call back, call back uh, right, right after CBS News. Thank you, Governor. Guam is News Talk K57. Explore the possibilities. Your talk, your station, News Talk K57. The views expressed on this show belong to the show host, guests, and callers and do not represent Sorensen Media Group in any way, shape, or form. This show serves in the public's interest, and SMG reserves the right to maintain control of the show as to keep within the guidelines of the FCC. If you have any comments or complaints, you can contact SMG. At SMG, we strive to present the best product we can. We value your opinion, and we thank you so much for listening and tuning in to News Talk K57. With every step you take. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Right there with you. Your talk, your station. News Talk K57. And we're back. 
This is the Data Hub with Tyrone Titano. I'm Tyrone Titano, Director of Bureau of Statistics and Plans. We have a very special guest with us uh, for the program, uh, Governor Lulian Guerrero. Anyone interested in joining the conversation, uh, you can call in at 477-5757. That's 477-5757. Uh, there we had some difficulties uh, taking calls in, uh, in the first half hour, but I think we cleared it up. And we have rejoining us, the Armagahara, Governor Lulian Guerrero. Thank you for joining us, Governor. Thank you, Taiwan, for having me. Uh, well, thanks so so, uh, so much again. But one, one of the things I want to hopefully focus in this segment, uh, we sort of touched on and previously in discussing the uh, uh, the efforts to combat COVID-19 and the, its economic implications. Uh, but I, I wanted to uh, sort of um, ask you where we are at in, in your broader economic strategy, which involves more than bringing back the vital industry of tourism. Uh, it also involves diversifying our economy. Uh, isn't that the case, Governor? Yes, and um, I've been uh, in I've been in close uh, work with Gita, and uh, we of course established the Economic Diversity Working Group, mm -hmm. which is made out of um, um, business people, um, you know, the community, and uh, so forth to look and identify other kinds of industries that maybe we could stand up or to uh, move along um, and uh, those economic diversity industries that we're looking at are um, varied and each of them are being addressed by a uh, owner, owner uh, leader or owner person that then um, creates their own working group so that we can um, strategize and uh, strategize and implement uh, actions to move it along. And those are, those are um, the industries that we're talking about are primarily, some of them are already in existence. For example, you know, how do we strengthen and move along more captive insurance, mm -hmm. trust incentive act, how do we uh, entice investors uh, with wealth to come to Guam? Um, other areas like uh, looking at product production, for example, maybe we can do a pharmaceutical manufacturing industry here or solar panel uh, manufacturing industries here. Um, other um, issues that we're looking at also is in construction and labor. And, and of course, your favorite subject, aquaculture. Uh, yes, yes. Aquaculture and, 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 and aquaculture. Right. And I'm, I'm excited really with the aquaculture because, you know, UOG has already right say say governor before um, we, we get okay. deep governor before we get deep into this we're piling up in phone calls so people will have their own questions and so if you don't mind let me let's see if we can take some of these questions since we sure. didn't have a chance to do it before so uh carrie are you online yes hello do you have a question for governor leon guerrero yes i do well first of all i want to say how blessed we are to have our Baldahaga, actually our mama who is a medical professional taking care of our island yeah know, boy didn't we did we look out to have a governor who's a registered nurse in the middle of a pandemic how blessed are we and uh, thank you <laughs> yes and I, I love you auntie lou mama lou Mugahaga lou uh but the question that i have is that um you know uh uh, the CDC has come out with an opinion that surface contamination is not necessarily a vector 
for the spread of the virus and it is through, you know, of course, airborne uh, spread. So it's, it, so how can we help out places like our churches and our restaurants where this type of sanitation is very expensive for them when the, 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 the tracking comes down to, you know, the, the, the contact tracks? Tracing shows that there was somebody in that venue and that place. Is there a way that we can address this? And thank you again. I love you, Magahaga, um, uh, and you do. Thank you. So one of the things that we are requiring, say, restaurants is to, and also hair salon places, is to uh, have people that come in to the restaurant sign in. Or if they don't sign in, then reservations are made so that the restaurant will know um, the people that are in their restaurant in a period of time. So, for example, if somebody was positive that had um, patronized the restaurant and they do contact tracing, then they can go back to where that restaurant, where they went to that restaurant on the day and the time that they were there. And so it makes it easier or a lot more accessible for the public health people to look at the list and be able to contact trace and notify those people then so that they can go and get tested. Um, you know, the other thing is, of course, the ventilation. And it's been shown that uh, exposure in the indoor is much higher in risk than outside. Uh, but the restaurants are doing really good with... Uh, making sure that if you're not eating, you, you are wearing your mask and that, um, and that they, they wipe down and they clean down the spaces. So um, we're using whatever we know of CDC guidelines to try and keep the place as less risky for exposure. So those okay. are some of the things, and of course, ourselves, taking personal responsibility with ourselves to make sure that, you know, we uh, wear a mask and uh, social distance. Well, thank you for that question, Carrie. And next up, we, we have Eric with a question for Governor Leon Guerrero. Eric, are you there? Hi, buenas. Tarot, buenas. Thank you for taking my call. Oh, absolutely. So you have a question for our, our guest, uh, Governor Leon Guerrero. Yeah, buenas, Governor. It's an honor to uh, be on the line with you. Uh, I just had, a, I'm sorry to go off topic, but I just have one question that I'm pretty sure the whole island's wondering about. How, and like I said, sorry to go off topic, but how do you, uh, do you plan on paying the RISE Act? Do I plan on what? I'm sorry, it was difficult to hear. Do you, do you plan on, on paying the RISE Act? Oh, the RISE Act. Yes. Yes. Um, one of the things with the RISE Act is that um, I felt it was uh, a bit discriminatory because it did not include everybody that had filed taxes like the EIT has done. So I'm trying to look at how we can make it a little bit more fair and make it more accessible to everybody. So we do not have yet the federal money um, on board, but yes, that is one of the things that uh, I am looking at working it with um, uh, DRT because it's following the same kind of program 
and system as the EIP. And I know that the EIP monies have come. So, again, if you're uh, eligible, if you are eligible for the EIP first and the EIP second, you'll be eligible for the third EIP. So, yes, I am looking at uh, how we can best um, spread the rice at the make sure more people are uh, taking advantage and are given that opportunity. Thank you, Governor. And that, thank you so much for that question, Eric. And next up is Ed. Do you have a question for Governor Looney and Girl? Uh, but, but first, I, I like to congratulate her for doing a great job in this COVID-19. And um, I like to, you know, uh, I hear she's uh, changing the subject. Uh, I hear she's trying to open up a hospital up there toward the Eagle still in Mangilao. And I hope that comes in, you know, pretty, pretty good. And uh, because that's central for everybody. But uh, I just wanted to find out uh, with the ancestral lands. Okay, I've, I've been through everybody from from the uh, land management to meetings with the ancestral lands commission and uh, and uh, Senator Therese Terlai, and uh, we we you know a lot of our uh, original landowners have already passed away. Mm-hmm. And those that are still in there are just looking for access to their properties. So mm-hmm. I just wanted to find out if um, uh, when they tell me uh, uh, that they need to hear it from the higher up. So I just want to find out who's the higher up. Is it you, Governor? Cool. And if it's you, can can we have an audience with you and Josh and show you everything because the... Uh, the uh, Manamkos already, a lot of them passed away. So I'm trying to to help the, the original landowners up there, including our siblings, to have an access, which is already approved by Department of Land Management. Mm-hmm. But uh, we're willing to pay for the surveyor of the center line. And uh, we're having a hold up with all the every director that we talk to. Kokoli, may I ask here, if you're talking about access to the property, but the access has already been determined by land management? Yes, it's already been approved. The access has been approved, but trying to open it. You mean, you know, you're talking for, you're looking as a, as a construction matter? Have. Is it a construction matter to open it up, or is it a, is it a legal matter to open up further? Or, or? It's, it's, a legal, it's legal because the Eastman is under government of Guam already. Okay. Wait, okay. Which land are we talking about? We're talking about the Edagaga up in uh, Mangilao, Baragada, next to the uh, next to the Eagle Steel area. Oh, I'm not familiar with it, but I certainly will check the ancestral land. Ed, and you're more than welcome to um, you know call my office and see if there's uh, a time we can schedule to meet so I can. Uh, yes, that, that, yes, Governor, yeah. that way we can bring all of our documents down and everything that's been approved. And, um, you know, because every now I'm just having, um, we started this, uh, the Manamco started this in 2004. And me and my wife took over in uh, 2000, 
15 or 16, and we're still right. getting into roadblocks. Right. So we wanna we wanna show yeah. you everything on paper. That way, yeah. you know if if the uh, the uh, hold up is because they wanna hear it from the higher up, and we went to um, uh, committee on lands, which is Senator Therese Talayi, and we're still on hold. So you know. And we're willing, we're, we are willing to pay for the government easement. We're willing to pay for the center line so that uh, somebody or public works can come in and open it. Mm. Yes. But even with so, that one, so we have a hold up with the, the director. It's the land that, the land was already given back to you? It's just yes, ma'am. Access to the land, okay. Okay. It's, it's, been given, it's been given back to the original landowners already. Okay, all they're all they're requesting is access, and we've been doing we've been going in through private property, you know, and uh, hopingly that uh, yeah. before I reach seventy, <laughs> everybody is already uh, passed on. So before I reach seventy, you know, I'm hoping that we can uh, uh, have an access for our kids. Yeah. So you know what. Um, Yes, can you just call my office? Um, yes, ma'am. Uh, I don't have the number off. I think it's 473 1106. 1106, yes, ma'am. Yes. Thank you very much. I, I really do appreciate it, and I know a lot of the original landowners will appreciate it too. Yes. So, Ed, can I just get your last name? What's your last name? Rodriguez. Rodriguez, okay. So I can also check with John Birch, the ancestral land person, and see if he has any update or anything like that. Yeah, yeah their their hold up is with Department of Land Management. Okay. So uh, everybody knows the story Florida. on this on this uh, access that is supposed to be done way back since two thousand and six. Okay. All right. Okay. So, yes, I will talk to uh, Joe. I'll, I'll call Joe tomorrow and find out more details. But yeah, he, 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 was, uh, he was the one that started it uh, when he was with Senator Adam. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, thank and you. And now he's the director, but there's a hold yeah. up also because no funding. But we're willing to pay the funding and out of our own pocket so that we, everybody in there can have access to their properties. Okay. okay. All right. Ed, All right, ma'am. Thank you very much, Ed, Governor. And Ed, thank and you so much for nice calling evening. in. Thank you so much for calling Thanks in. Thanks for calling in. Yes. Well, Governor, we've had a like rat-a-tat-tat of a number of at least three different issues from callers. And we just to wrap it up, we have one more call, if you're, if you're uh, up for this, from yet um, another Ed. So, Ed, are you there on the line? Yes, Sam. Do you have uh, a question for Governor Leon Guerrero? Mr. Governor, are you yes. predicting that the percentage to be vaccinated by opening the tourists, which is uh, what April, May, something like that. Well, the goal well, is. Which one now? For call, are you referring the the uh, uh, getting fifty percent vaccinations by by next month? Is that what you're referring to? Yeah, but uh, uh, the governor expected to have uh, the vaccination up. To, in order to open the tourism. 
Well, for other reasons yeah. other than tourism. Right. Yeah. So in order for me and my listeners to feel comfortable that we can safely open to travelers, um, we're looking at having uh, herd immunity uh, of 50% before we even start making any changes in the travel. Now, I know that if we um, do reach it and we say, okay, open to travelers, uh, my information says that people from Japan, South Korea, Taiwan, other places like that who are normally our uh, market are not going to travel. They, they are very scared to travel, and their Asian countries are much, much more, we're much, much more ahead in terms of vaccination than they are. And so they're still quarantining and they're still on lockdown. So, um, well, Governor, it, Governor, isn't the challenge? Even if we do that, yeah. our market probably yeah. won't come right. Yeah. Well, well, Governor, away. isn't the challenge here not only to um, to to manage the restrictions here, but also to uh, you know, for our tourist markets to give them confidence that Guam is right. a safe place to go? And so, right. isn't isn't that the sort of balancing act that has to be done here? Yeah. Uh, caller, do you have any, uh, Eddie? Do you have any more questions? So the Guam Research Bureau is willing to pay for the testing for the tourism coming in. Who's paying for that testing? Is it the Guam taxpayers? Would the tourism is, is not on island right now or it's open? So that was a so suggestion. Is that the taxpayers of Guam? Because the tourism is not there, and one Mr. Nero is not making that amount of money as for now. Well, well, caller, as I understand it, this has just been a suggestion as a strategy to deal with it, and has been not been fully fleshed out as a program. So, and 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 th it's not actually uh, uh, an unknown strategy to bring back tourists and help revitalize the economy. So, right. I, I'm sure when Governor Gutierrez fleshes out his proposal more, that that how and and to the degree that GBB will cover the uh, the vaccinations, that will be fully explained. Okay, caller. My guess is probably the funding, if any, will probably come from our um, uh, American Rescue Plan funding, which is uh, from the federal monies. Yeah. Yeah, and and for and for economic recovery. Okay, right. thank thank you, caller. Uh, there is there are some more calls coming in, Governor, but I want to return to where we left off before we got the last series of four calls, and that is, like I said, your favorite subject, aquaculture. Um, I remember from the um, first year, few months of your administration, uh, you were uh, uh, giving uh, remarks talking about uh, pathogen-free shrimp, and right. that 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 struck a, a lot of people that as a kind of an, a sort of a nerdy sort of phrasing here. But here we are, uh, a couple years later, and we're actually producing pathogen-free shrimp. Uh, we are. Uh, at we the are producing uh, pathogen-free uh, shrimp. We are producing pathogen-free tilapia. We have uh, the red tilapia, and um, they're selling them. And mm -hmm. uh, I know from the uh, Corsi's company, which is a private company, uh, partnering with the University of Guam in terms of research and getting the fry and the brood stock, um, is well on their way to doing that. And uh, I understand that they um, sell about a thousand pounds of shrimp so that's 
amazing, I think. And I know that one of the things that they want to do together with DOD is to provide the brood stock and the fry to other farmers that want to do aquaculture and also to export it to Asia uh, so that uh, they do have pathogen-free shrimp. That would be the attraction of, uh, of uh, buying our products in Asia. So I think, I think this, in, this industry is a multi-million dollar industry and it, it has such a low overhead and it's something that's very prime for our environment here. And uh, I'm really uh, pushing it to the Department of Agriculture and also to VDAC so we can start having people interested in starting their own aquaculture industry and their own aquaculture farm. So it's good not just uh, because of it's organic, it is healthy, and also meets food sustainability, which is one of the things that I was really worried about during the pandemic. What if all our ports, right, were not able to bring in the imports? How are we going to, how are we going to feed our people and so forth? So this goes towards uh, reaching more of our food sustainability and being much more self-sufficient and not having to be dependent on outside sources. And this is something you really believe in, Governor. I say this because um, uh, for those of you who are not familiar, I, I, I helped out in, uh, uh, as a, as a, in her campaign in 2018. And I used to recall that no matter what suggestions we would come up with or what to talk about, you'd always return to the subject of aquaculture as a, as a viable pathway for uh, diversing the economy and, and creating jobs for people, uh, uh, basically people as they graduate from high school. Uh, that That's really part a good part of your vision for Guam's future, isn't it, Governor? Yes. And agriculture. And you know, agriculture. that's another area that uh, I think uh, our people uh, should take more of the opportunity to do more agriculture. And uh, we're certainly going to provide uh, funding sources and resources to help our farmers and uh, with whatever they need, equipment, um, you know, maybe subsidy in the water, which they already have. Uh, there's other ways that we can help our farmers to produce more crops and to be able to sell them. And one of the things we're doing with agriculture is we're really also standing up a central uh, farmer's market, which if you go to Jedido, uh farmers market there is starting to materialize and what I had one envision is that the farmers would bring their crops to the central market they get they they sell it they get their money and then they go back and grow more of their products and harvest more of their crops so that uh, they don't have to worry about marketing they don't have to worry about you know sell, delivering it to various places that would all be centralized through the farmer's market. And the farmer's co-op is very excited about that concept. So um, they we're working very closely with them to, again, make that much more of a robust program. You know, Governor, I also want to touch on another aspect of your diversification strategy uh, for a safe haven port, which uh, is uh, is the uh, uh, utilization by the Navy to designate Guam as a safe haven port, and so as a place to, uh, uh, considering that there's so many hotspots around the world, uh, that the place to actually uh, uh, for ships uh, 
uh, in, on the waters to actually uh, drop by and 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 uh, for their personnel to get off and uh, and use local goods right. and services. And I, I was interesting uh, that uh, um, uh, the senior uh, a naval station commander was talking about how that is really an active thing with the U.S. Navy right now. Is the designation of Guam as a safe haven port and that, that it's under development? Uh, how do you think that will will uh, turn out? Do you think? I think that would really help out with, uh, you know, um, with with the lack of tourists. And the thought there is that, like you said, ships will come and be courted in Guam, and uh, they're probably going to be here, you know, anywhere from uh, three days to maybe a week. And uh, the thought there is to identify a hotel where all of them would go, and they would just be right there in that area and not mm-hmm. necessarily um you know be out in the community um and but would be just right there with like uh, a hotel mm-hmm. and that would also that would definitely help with our um tourist attraction fund and it would help with uh, starting back and reopening again our tourist industry so that is uh, a very real um that's a very real program that I think the military is looking at because as Guam becomes a safer haven, mm-hmm. a safer place, uh, they feel more comfortable coming because remember also they're very concerned about contact contracting COVID mm-hmm. to the community because when they go back into the ship, they are in a very close confined area which just makes the risk of infection a lot higher. So. Well, Governor, I also want to talk to you about uh, the the larger um, inter- impact of uh, the military and the island for not only the military buildup, but uh, rising concerns about China. But we have one more caller, uh, still in hold. Nicholas, are you there? Uh, yes, sir. Yes, do you have a question for Governor Lulian Guerrero? Uh, yes, sir. Uh, what would your Guam question be? Guam become a target. Excuse me? Because of uh, our uh, policies to watch them. I'm sorry, could you repeat this, uh, caller? You, you said Guam is a target? Yeah, Guam is going to become a target. Because if we of, don't do and hustle everything. If, if we don't do what, caller? Gu- Guam Gu- is going to become a target if we don't do and hustle everything to mend it. Okay, to mend what, caller? Like I said, China said. Oh, okay. I see. Well, that's uh, that's well. Then, caller, you've gotten the last uh, way of sedge way of getting to a topic I was going to raise with the governor myself. You know, in in addition to um, the uh, uh, military buildup, which is which is proceeding and will as uh, will be a big part, of, I'm, I'm sure, of your economic recovery strategy. There is also uh, the the sort of rising concern about the threat of China. And there mm-hmm. has been discussion about, even on top of the current military buildup, which is largely a redeployment of um, the Marines from Okinawa, uh, but an investment in uh, something that's called the Guam uh, Security Initiative, or in other words, uh, beefing up Guam as a way of dealing with uh, the, uh, the uh, not just uh, rebasing of, uh, of Marines from Okinawa, but as, um, as, a, uh, as a building of America's uh, defense and counter uh, to China's more uh, uh, beefing up its own military presence. Uh, within the region, um, you know, given that, uh, Governor, is is that also a, a a possibility or maybe a pathway forward for even a more military and uh, uh, and build up investment in Guam than what is already on the table right now? 
Well, you know, I know that the caller was saying that Guam uh, will become a target. I just want to say we are already a target. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, uh, given that, then what do we do to protect ourselves? Um, what do we do to make sure that, you know, when there is, God forbid, a missile um, drawn from uh, other uh, Asian countries, that we have the means to protect ourselves. And that is um, what I see in DOPECOM is pushing forward uh, in Congress to be able to provide the mechanism here and, and the resource here to protect us uh, should that situation occur. And so, yes, that is more military strengthening. I don't think that requires you know, um, any more land that they would take from us, that they would use from our community. I, you know, I don't know, um, I don't think it will require any more military personnel, but uh, definitely would allow uh, Guam to be based with the uh, means to uh, head off those um, missiles um, that are fired off. Right. With, with the most, uh, with the most highly advanced technology, is what I think is being pushed for. Right. Uh, it, but still, would be additional um, Department of Defense investment in the island, even though it doesn't consume a lot more, uh, more land. Um, right. Is uh, moving off from um, from from the military buildup and tourism and the and traditional. Uh, uh, sort of sectors are kind of like, like agriculture and and uh, you know and I'm uh, looking at the list of, uh, of uh, targets for the diversification uh, uh, task force here uh, one of them uh, was and you mentioned it earlier but I think I interrupted you before I had a full chance to explain it was the whole idea of of um, attracting uh, uh, manufacturing of uh, pharmaceuticals on Guam, and that that's centered around an, on on doing it in a way that also take advantage of the made in the USA uh, uh, label isn't that the case right. governor Right, and so I have met with uh, a, a UOG professor who is uh, pushing this, mm-hmm. and uh, he's very he's convinced and very confident that if we, um, you know, went and talked to the major uh, pharmaceutical companies mm-hmm. to even open up, even if it's just a real small production manufacturing here, or take some of that. Uh, business away from China mm. or um, you know the Asian countries that this would be a very successful investment and endeavor for our people of Guam uh, and of course then the label of made in the USA just becomes a much more uh, attractive way of producing and and so the other um, area also that uh, is of interest is solar panels and mm-hmm. um, oh. producing solar panels there. Of course, we all know alternative energy is the biggest push now, not just here in Guam, but throughout the whole world, I believe. And so we were able to open a manufacturing production center for, um, for solar panels then that would be um, great in uh, producing more jobs and also in um, making an industry here much more um, viable for us. Well, know, well certainly, certainly the demand for certainly the demand for solar panels is about to spike over the next couple of de- decades, given the uh, ag- aggressive 
uh, targets have been set in legislation you signed into law for a GPA to shift to from fossil fuels to renewable uh, uh, sources such as such as solar, and uh, oh. and given the um, there certainly is one of the um, uh, targets of the uh, Biden Harris administration. Uh, in terms of uh, switching over renewable resources here, there's, there's one executive order that sets a target to convert all uh, government fleets into electric cars, uh, for example. Yeah. Uh, you uh, have been uh, have testified before um, the uh, House Natural Resources Committee on on the uh, uh, Biden administration build back better uh, approach here and the upcoming uh, infrastructure slash climate change bill. And, and I believe you're scheduled with an interview um, for The Hill, which is a a well-renowned uh, 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 political periodical uh, uh, out of uh, out of D.C. here, and their sustainability conference. I believe later this week they're going to tape an interview with you for their sustainability conference. Uh, what is your perspective on the Biden administration's Build Back Better approach, and and the uh, and the anticipation for what will, depending who you, who, who uh, how it's examined, a multi-trillion-dollar uh, infrastructure uh, bill that particularly right. will center on climate change and environmental justice. So, what are your thoughts on that? My thoughts are, I think our economic recovery plan is so much in line and aligned with President Biden's uh, strategy and President Biden's campaign on infrastructure. Uh, and, and, and if you, um, if you know, Clinton's infrastructure bill really uh, is geared towards uh, creating more jobs and feels that uh, one of the ways to do that is just to have a really focused infrastructure renovation, reformation, uh, building of the whole United States, which would create, would create hundreds and thousands of jobs. That's his way uh, of uh, revitalizing the economy. And certainly, I agree with that, because uh, there needs to be a lot of focus on uh, infrastructure. And infrastructure includes utilities, it includes uh, broadband, internet, you know, um, things that will also uh, protect our climate. And certainly our um, sustainability uh, campaign with the G3 uh, uh, group from the University of Guam and the G3 task force that we've been working very diligently on is just that, you know, ways that we can uh, recycle ways that we can remake uh, our stuff and ways that we can uh, save our environment and and of course uh, prolong um, uh, our natural resources and so alternative energy is one of them and I just met with the GPA head uh, John Benaventi mm-hmm. and he gave me an update on where we're at with that alternative energy Mm-hmm. Um, mandate, and he feels that we can reach the 30 percent. He thinks we're reaching already the 30 percent, and then he feels very strongly that we can reach 100 percent by 2045. Wow! Um, wow! And and I was actually uh, Tyrone impressed with the work that they've done mm-hmm. with uh, with you know energy storage spaces with the whole of uh, with Dandan. I think already is. Uh, has the solar panels there and they're already getting energy from there and how um, he explained to me how this new power plant that they are um, you know working at getting up is going to be um, built in such a way that it would adjust and interact with the alternative 
uh, energy sources. So um, I, I was actually very um, encouraged with the progress that the GPA has made towards alternative energy uh, interaction. Yeah. And and your your expectation, as it is for uh, for everyone else, is that we'll get a substantial infusion of infrastructure money when uh, when the Biden Harris infrastructure bill actually makes its way through Congress, particularly for climate change projects. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Guam, having been on the sort of the front lines for for the effects of climate change, including sea level rise and the effects on coral reefs and a whole range of other issues that will uh, come in, uh, I think, certainly very uh, useful in, in building investing in the future. Uh, you know, yeah. g- Governor? I, I just I, wanted to say that with, with our island sustainability conference that just happened, mm-hmm. you know, I'm very proud of our island. I'm very proud of the uh, advances that we've made. I'm especially so proud of the University of Guam and under uh, Austin Shelton, you know, leadership that we're really moving forward very very quickly i think with a lot of the initiatives of our sustainability goals and uh, objectives that are you know gotten out of the un so well and and of course it builds on the on the uh, on the efforts of not only um uh, the uh, G3 Working Group, which you formed by executive order, but also uh, the uh, Climate Change Resiliency Commission, which has taken up the task of evaluating the Biden administration uh, climate change policy as as details become developed and emerge. And, and also, of course, the Zero Waste Working Group, chaired by uh, the first gentleman and, and, and the, uh, uh, the efforts they've made to, uh, uh, to pr- pr- uh, create a circular economy that converts uh, a waste into resources to fuel a, a green economy, and and of course the um, you know you know what I said one of the major impacts from climate change has been the devastation of the island's coral reefs. And I recall like within the first few months of you taking office, you implemented a new coral reef resiliency strategy, uh, which is uh, is actually taking a proactive approach to uh, dealing with these issues. Uh, but returning to the subject of, of infrastructure. Um, Perhaps um, uh, ask you what your priorities are, what you're interested in in terms of infrastructure investment over the over the next few years. I think probably top of the list is maybe the hospital. Right. Um, you know, in Biden's uh, infrastructure bill, he calls he also talks about human and social infrastructure, mm-hmm. um, and certainly the hospital is a, to me is a form of an infrastructure for our healthcare and for our community. So. Um, you know, going off from the American uh, the uh, American Corps of Engineers assessment of the hospital, I think it is prudent to um, move forward with building a new hospital. Mm. And so we formed a task force to look at that. Um, we are uh, the direction that I have made is that we are building a new hospital, and that we are going to build it in uh, in Manilao. Um, with land that is being going to be leased to us by the military mm-hmm. on Eagles Field, that's about 102 acres. Mm-hmm. And uh, now we're looking at, um, of course, funding is a concern. And so I'm taking uh, $300 million of the $634 million that's going to be uh, given to Guam to the American Rescue Plan and using that towards. Uh, the hospital's um, uh, structure, and, yeah. and uh, also moving forward to uh, including public health, mm-hmm. building new public health. And as you know, we already have funding for a regional public health laboratory here, and 
And what I'd like to do is have that laboratory built and shared with the hospital and public health. So it's one way, again, to sort of cut costs and, and be much more efficient in using a resource. Well, so, and, yeah, right uh, to that direction, yeah. we're working very hard. I already told uh, the task force that I like to do a groundbreaking by, uh, I think I said October 2022, and uh, that's an aggressive deadline, but we're working hard to get it. And so we are already having a, a feasibility study um, to come up with a medical uh, action plan. Well, and you, that's, that's going to really help. Well, whether uh, uh, we're able to direction and organizing. Well, wherever you're, uh, if regardless whether your ambitious goal of uh, of a groundbreaking by uh, by uh, October of uh, of next year is is met or not, it's very clear that we're well on our way beyond the talking stage to it. We've identified land. You've identified a huge portion of the money that's need, going to be needed for the hospital, and right. more importantly, has been set as a policy goal from which I think this entire community is is united behind. Um, yeah. What other uh, infrastructure uh, investments that you, you look forward to over the next uh, few years here? I guess, uh, uh, of course, in addition to the hospital, there is the uh, uh, rebuilding of Simon Sanchez. Right. That's one. Uh, and and as, I, as, I get, as I got me some updates from Lieutenant Governor, because he's, sort of, he's mm -hmm. the one that uh, I'm relying on to get that going really quickly. Um, the A&E is done, mm. or almost done. And that's great. You know, we're on our way to almost uh, uh, groundbreaking for construction. You, you mean and, we're, we're uh, past procurement protests, you know, which seem, seem to have lasted for years. Right. Uh, so we're actually going but, to build it. Okay. Yeah. But there's, there's none of that now. And so we're on our way. And, uh, of course, financing is going to also be um, decided upon. And... You know, we can do the same financing uh, structure as uh, Okudu and as JFK. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm excited about that. I, and I told the uh, students of Simon Sanchez and the teachers and the community about how this administration is going to work really hard to get this uh, school done. It's, it's a long time needed, and, you know, there's been so much delay. Uh, but now I think we're moving uh, as quickly as we can. So I'm I'm excited about that. And, you know, of course, the Department of Education is working very closely with our office mm -hmm. to uh, get it going as fast as we can because, of course, the superintendent is just as anxious to get this, uh, this school built. I'm glad you touched on the issue of, of delays, Governor, because it, it has occurred to me here that because of COVID-19 and the dislocations it's, it's done not only to our economy, uh, but to our society. Uh, we have a community of, have because we've been immersed in that struggle and we're coming out of it, um, we have a community that almost, have almost lost a year in terms yeah. of advancing stuff. It's disrupted a lot of plans uh, to, to do so. I, I recall in February of last year, as part of the, um, a project by the Zero Waste Working Group, uh, they had developed a, a project for uh, taking uh, unused cooked food from the Hyatt to and give it to Salvation Army uh, so they can use it to feed the hungry uh, that same day. 
and that was all teed up in, in February. And then, of course, uh, March, a, a public health emergency had to be declared for COVID-19. And so you could not do mass eatings as envisioned by, by Salvation Army, mass gatherings like that. And, of course, of a devastating impact on the on the tourist industry. And so that plan was derailed. And, uh, and although at your, your direction that uh, we were sort of revisiting to, to see it, to see if we, we can uh, uh, re- reestablish it as, as the restrictions um, uh, are, uh, are, are are removed or lessened, and and we can do it uh, on a safe basis here. But right. you know, it, what is what is your your perspective here on that? On you know, I I'm, I guess I'm being sort of uh, poetic here and referring to it as a lost year, but in, in many ways it was. Yes, we've lost the whole year, you know. Um, but we, but you know, um, Tyrone. Uh, we lost the whole year to what we wanted to do in terms of providing more for our people, but and but we had to deal with this pandemic. Mm-hmm. And uh, now that we are, you know, close to um, total reopening, I think we're going back to where uh, we left off. And mm-hmm. I think that's why the hospital is such an aggressive deadline because I'm going to push the envelope because we've lost a year mm-hmm. and so um you know we're going to continue on with what we are doing and we're going to continue on in a much more aggressive uh, manner um other other places that we wanted to do also that i think we were really looking at before covid was the fisherman's co-op mm-hmm. um that's one that has been you know again in the making and i heard that it had a groundbreaking in 2017, but it hasn't even done anything. So that one, again, we're really pushing the envelope on that one to get it up and going because it's only going to help our fishermen and it's also going to help our economy. So a lot of the, um, a lot of the uh, initiatives and the directives that we were looking at in just one year into our administration mm-hmm. had to be put on hold. But now we're we're now coming back and uh, we're coming back much more strongly and much more uh, quickly. And not only that, I think we're using this reopening as like a refreshing, a refreshing of our island. And a renewal of our island. I'm Maybe. so, um, I'm so grateful for Lieutenant Governor Josh's whole uh, big station task force because that task force is really addressing you know, things that we've been wanting to clean up and uh, things that we've been wanting to deal with uh, that would make our community look so much cleaner and so much, um, you know, very classy and very, um, just, I want want to use the word refreshing. Mm -hmm. And people are, uh, they're motivated. The, the village mayors are motivated to clean their villages. And I, I told them that I am giving them the resources to do that. So there's a big movement out there to clean our villages, clean our island, and uh, make it look uh, the way that we deserve in terms of how uh, we live and the quality and the environment and the cleanliness. So. Well, it's 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 uh, certainly on some of the darker moments of the uh, of the uh, COVID nineteen and public health emergency. And it's not just the restrictions, but uh, the devastation is to many aspects of our economy. Uh, it it uh, there there was always the uh, the temptation I can see to be very negative and very uh, 
and if, if not uh, pessimistic or uh, you know cynical about the way things are developing here. But I, I think it's fair a year later to to, to say that it's because of your uh, positive, determined leadership that we've actually gotten past all that and are, are moving forward here. And you know there 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 are a lot of people uh, involved in, in this sort of success story, but. You know, uh, uh, we all take our uh, our lead from the uh, person on the top, namely you, Governor. And so I, I want to thank you so much for your leadership during this time. Uh, you know, leadership matters, and it certainly yeah. mattered now. And you know, it's it, I'll just I'll just say this: it's a leadership that uh, when you know what you're doing is right, you move in that direction. And yeah, there's cynicism, and there's the detractors, and there's the critics and so forth and there's people with opinions um and that's all fine but i was very focused and i know where we're going and i know what we need to do and what we're doing is the right thing i think that's um that's the that's the leadership where um you know um with information data and science to back you up you knew i knew exactly where should have gone and we've gone there and now here we are and and with that i want to thank you governor lulian guerrero for taking time out for this program as we head uh over the next couple of minutes up to the seven o'clock um uh evening news and uh, uh i also give you the mic governor if there's any last comments you'd like to infer to the public in the last uh one or two minutes we have on the air but the mic is yeah. yours governor All right so thank you again, uh, Tyrone, for inviting me, certainly. Um, this was an opportunity to um, talk to the community, and this is, an this is an opportunity for the community to know exactly what our administration is doing to provide the quality of life and betterment of, of our lives here in Guam. And uh, just know that it's influenced by our great desire to protect our island and our great desire and agenda to make sure that uh, people are safe, our environment is clean, we, um, we protect our natural resources, and moving forward, uh, I think our island is going to be in a better place. Fantastic. And I just wanted to thank the people of Guam for their support and thank the people of Guam for their trust in, in my leadership, in our leadership, and in, uh, in our administration's actions to do uh, nothing less uh, than providing the life, the kind of life that everyone in our island deserves. So thank you again and look forward to more work with our community and our people. Thank you very much, Governor. See you at work tomorrow morning. Uh, that's yeah. Governor, yes, ma'am. That's Governor Lulian Guerrero, our MAGA HAGA. Uh, this is the Data Hub. Uh, we're broadcast live on News Talk K57 and on 96.5 FM. A podcast of tonight's proceedings will be posted later on this tonight on kv7.com. And the link to it will be posted on the Bureau's three social media pages one for the Bureau of Statistics and Plans, one for the Coral Reef Initiative, and another one for the Guam. Uh, coastal management program. We're also simulcast on GTA Channel 3 and Docomo Channel 2. Thanks everyone for joining us this evening here. See you next week.
1170 AM KGUM Hagati Guam is News Talk K57.